Good morning, friends. Welcome. Um, if you are a guest here this morning, we are so glad you're here for this third Sunday in Advent. My name is Clark Reinhardt, and I am the part-time director of college ministries at Edenton Street. Um, I served on staff uh, up at a church in North Raleigh for a long time. Got to know Lisa and some of the other pastoral staff um, because of our time at Duke Divinity School, and um, have been fortunate to attend the Southeast Raleigh table with my family since August of 2017. This morning, we're going to jump right into this series um, that uh, Bria last week connected to and that Lisa had kicked us off with. Um, and it's this really, um, this, this space that we share together, where we look at this Christmas season and all of the stories that we've heard as kids, and we also reckon with the, the, the weight of all of the complex feelings that come along with that. And, and so it is both beautiful and, and complex. And this morning, I want to invite us to open up our hands, our hearts, our minds, because at the very heart of this Christmas story, there is beauty and there is complexity. From the very, very beginning of this story, there is both beauty and there is complexity. And so as we read this passage from Luke's gospel this morning, we know that Luke is telling this orderly account. And he does things a little bit differently than some of the other gospel writers. He's sharing this good news in a particular way, and he really hones in in these first two chapters on this birth narrative. It's this beautiful retelling of this story. Some of you will be familiar with it. If you're not, it can be found in Luke 1, starting in verse 46. So catching us up to where we're going to kind of land this morning, uh, this angel Gabriel comes to this virgin named Mary. She's a young teenager, and this angel says, uh, favored are you. And she's like, okay, cool, this is great. As, as one might expect, one would respond when an angel presents himself to a human. And, and, and this angel, Gabriel, um, says to Mary that she's going to carry the Most High. That, that, that language is steeped in, in Old Testament. Uh, she would have heard in that very place, you are going to be the one that is favored because of this God who has blessed you and have called you the favored one. And yet in this moment, she says, new phone, who dis? This is a human story. We, we don't just see that Mary, right, this young teenage, you know, soon-to-be mother, says, yeah, yeah, I got this. Let's go. But she says, um, quick question, uh, Gabriel, uh, hold, hold the phone over there real fast before we get this thing started too quickly. How, how, how is this supposed to happen? She, she's asking me about the mechanics of this story. Uh, again, the beauty and the complexity are, are woven together here at the very beginning in Luke's gospel. And so we see this beautiful passage and this angel uh, coming to Mary. And then we see Mary saying, uh, okay, but, but there's some things that haven't happened yet from a biological perspective. There are kids in the room, but I'll leave that for your imagination. We can just all hold that as adults' intention. I'll let you reconcile those things with your families. And, and then Mary says, okay, here I am, servant of the Lord. Uh, I, I'm ready. She accepts this charge from God after hearing these words from the angel Gabriel. And then she goes, just to, to catch you up a little bit of the backstory. she goes to her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth has had her own experience with an angel, a story that would have been known to people who were steeped in this Old Testament language. And she comes to this space in this unnamed hill country, 
Mary comes there. We don't know why, but she shows up, and this baby that is in Elizabeth's belly jumps and leaps for joy. Before this baby is even born, God is at work in this baby, and that baby is John the Baptist. Because you know the Holy Spirit is active and alive even before we're out of our mother's wombs. This baby has done nothing, but this baby already knows in whose presence he is in. And so uh, Mary is there, and she's like, okay, uh, this just happened to me. Elizabeth has had this own theophany, this own experience with God and this angel, and they're together in this space, and it's beautiful and complex. And then we see Mary, after hearing these words from her cousin Elizabeth about how anointed she is, she says this. She responds with this beautiful song. And in this song, I would love to offer to you this morning, friends, that in this Christmas season and in every Christmas season since I have come to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus, I have wanted my words to reflect Mary's words. And yet in this beautifully complex world with all the things that we deal with here, especially in 21st century America, all, all of these relationships, all of these longings, all of these expectations at the end of the year that have not been met because we think back to January where we set all of these New Year's resolutions. And then we look at December and we say, can we get this done in two weeks? Right? All these things that are just brewing together. And for some reason on December 1, we, we have this like holy mess of things. And for church folk, you know, we show up and we, we look nice. We make, our, make sure our, our shirts are pressed, especially for December, because God is really watching in December, right? I mean, if not, at least the pastor is. I mean, Lisa always looks so nice. You know, she's watching. Be careful. Make sure that shirt is pressed. And we show up and we make sure all this is right, but December is just fraught with all of these things. And my yearning each and every season is I've, I've wondered what it looks like to follow Jesus. I've wanted my words to be these words. Mary says this, starting in verse 46. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And God's name is holy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promises that he had made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her, that is Elizabeth, about three months, and then returned to her home. Would you pray with me? God, this morning as we open up this space that you have created for us, God, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to what you have to say, God. Use these words in your holy scriptures. God, help us to reckon with the tension that we see, the tension that we feel, and the beauty of this story that you are telling for us and all humanity, a story that is steeped in good news. Amen. Up until 2014, this story meant a lot to me for a lot of different reasons. I, I didn't really spend a whole lot of my childhood in church, but, but I spent some meaningful time, at least around Christmas and Easter, to where I knew this story. And it was a great story. It's a story about birth. 
but it's also a story about immaculate conception. It's a story uh, about things that don't always happen to people like you and I. And it's a story that as my life unfolded and I tried to map on my life to these words so that my soul would magnify the Lord, I started to reckon with some of the complexity of life and the things, as Lisa reminded us this morning, the things that God has promised us, but, but, but these things that we stand in the gap of waiting, this liminal space, this in-between space. We know where we are and we know the things that we yearn for and yet there's this chasm. And at Christmas time, we experience this chasm in different ways. It's a way that, that air feels differently. Those tables with our family feel differently because we know the tension that lives underneath the surface. And before 2014, this story of immaculate conception was just this beautiful story. It's a story that, you know, we would tell at Christmas time and we kind of forget about because we'd get to the resurrection stuff real quick in the church that I, I grew up in. Right? We get there because that's where you have to live. And in 2014, after being married for a few years, we felt like there was space in our heart and our home for a child. And I, and I had heard stories of infertility before, um, oftentimes being told by women. I had not heard very many men share stories of infertility. And yet, as we tried to have a child and to conceive in 2000, end of 2013, and in and through 2014, and into 2015, I recognized that there was space in between the things that we felt and the things that we yearned for. And in that complex space, we trusted God, and yet we were a little bit put off by what God was doing because other of our friends would look at each other, wink, and things would happen. <laughs> and in that space in early 2015, Laura, my wife, decided to go to a fertility specialist at UNC. Not everybody has the same desire to have children that we had, and, and that is beautiful and, and holy. And yet for our family, we felt like there was that space in our heart and our home. And so we went, and, and, and they looked at Laura, you know, this, I imagine this like target, you know, and they're looking, what are the things, what are the things, what are the things, pew, okay, here's one little thing. Eh, probably not going to affect very much. So then the target moves very quickly, whoop, right? And it's on me. And I thought, surely, surely this is not it. I, I've, I've had enough of a medical history. I, I was born in Miami, Florida, um, born with spina bifida, which was like this strange thing in the late 80s that we didn't know a lot about, we know a little bit more about now. And I thought, surely it, it couldn't be me, right? I mean, all the biblical stories, uh, the, the women are blamed for it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that's also messed up in the Bible. That's like super messed up, okay? <laughs> Just as a man, that's super, super, super messed up. So I'm just playing a little bit, right? But that, that's how men think sometimes. Like, surely it's not us. But, but I knew in my very bones that it was me. I didn't know why. But, but for a long time, I had had this stirring inside that we had this dream. And yet I knew that my body, for whatever reason, I wasn't sure if it was connected to the spina bifida or to the surgeries I had had on my bladder as a result when I was a kid, but that there was going to be some hardship and some heartache around having a child. Laura and I had talked about it a little bit, but we hadn't really shared all the details because we thought, we'll just work through that, right? Because that's what happens, is like you have this, this yearning, you ask God for it, and then that's how it happens in my you know, naive mind. And yet 2013, 2014, and in 2015, when the target hits me, the doc walks in, he's like, come on. <laughs> 
Come on. You knew. It was you. And for whatever reason, friends, I, I just don't produce. I just don't produce. And in that moment, sometime in the summer of 2015, it, it felt as though all of the things that I had projected onto God's promises that God had, had given to us as a family, all of those things just shattered at our feet. And, and it was a story that Laura charitably picked up and said, hey, this is about us, not about you, right? This is about us, this is not about you. And yet, for some reason, in my own toxic masculinity, in my own, you need to do this because this is what is expected of you kind of mentality that I was steeped in growing up, in this privileged atmosphere of obviously you work hard and then these things are produced for you. In this space between those things, the things that I had been conditioned to and the things that my body could not do, in that space somehow, God found me. But it's not a story that has a nice little bow on it. In that space in 2015, we realized that my body didn't produce and that we could not full stop despite all the nice people at the airports who would ask us and pray over us about my body being healed, we, we knew that that wasn't the prayer that we were asking God because we knew that my body could not do those things. That's not to limit what God could do, but we knew that wasn't our story. In 2015, I had a procedure, and then finally, in that space, we knew zero, no shot, and it was crushing. I was on serving on staff at a church in North Raleigh, and, and, and I was set up to preach Advent sermons and talk about things like this in that space. And, 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 and you know, you just muster up this courage inside of you, and you step up, and you're saying, God, use me. And yet there was a part of me that really disliked God at that time in that space. Maybe some of you can resonate Maybe it's not a story of infertility. Maybe that's not been a part of your story and the weightiness of this season. It's probably not for a lot of you. And for us, again, before 2015 at Christmas time, the Christmas story had a little bit of a different ring to it. But, but after 2015, things have been a bit different. And God is still somehow mysteriously putting these pieces back together and, and knitting them together in such a way that we can see a bit of the picture of what God was doing. But I'd be lying to you, friends, if I said this whole thing had a nice little bow on it. Some of you know that in 2016, on Hurricane Matthew weekend, we flew to Dallas, Texas. And, and we, we stood in a birthing chamber, like literally a delivery room, a, a space that is thick. Whether you've given birth to a baby or had a baby born in your presence, I mean, you just can, like, touch it. There's, there's just this, this veil between life and death and this, this very intimate space. We stood in this room with a mother who is our children's birth mother. And, and we were there to adopt this baby. It was October 7th, 2016. And I share that with you because I want to tell you that, again, there is not a nice little bow on this story. There is a nice little bow, our son, B-E-A-U. <laughs> uh, he's nice. He's great. Not all the time, but he's great but not a nice little B-O-W on this story, because guess what, friends? In that moment, where we stood in this complex process of adoption, that everybody from the outside looking in, most people from the outside looking in, at that time said, look at this nice thing you're doing for this child and for this family, and had all of these complicated questions. We know now, Christmas of 2019, that there is a mother, namely our birth mother, Mary, who sits without two children that are in our home. 
And it's beautiful. And it's complex. We love these children, and we hold them with our hands open. And we try to echo these words in our lives that Mary shares. And yet, you look at the pictures on Instagram and you think, gosh, this is great. Look at the bow. Just beauty, no more complexity. Three years afterwards, adoption solved that problem. And yet, for those of you who might not have been privileged and also you know, dealt with the complexities of adoption, we also know both sides of that story. Just recently, I think it was a week or two ago, um, there's this beautiful story that was shared about um, this boy who invited um, his, his whole kindergarten out to, to his, his, his adoption. And, and there's a part of me that says that, that's, that's incredible. Wow, that, that people would come around and surround this little boy in this adoption process. And then there's this other part of me that knows the complexities of adoption. And, and, and I say, not it. Not fully it. Not fully it. Again, beauty and complexity in these stories. And so as we head into this season where we hear these kinds of stories and where we sing these kinds of songs like Joy to the World, where, where, where we bless God's name and where we ask God to come near in this season of preparation, the season of Advent, we also wait expectantly. And the truth is, friends, that sometimes in that waiting, you are exposed. Amen. And in that waiting, that is where you find the nearest place to God. I, I wish I could forecast that for you in each of your lives and tell you, hey, this is that place, press in there, but I can't. I, I wish I knew the complexities of your life and the places that felt weighty because I would love to be a part of resolving that, but I can't. And I shouldn't. And yet in those places, in those deep, dark places, those places where you feel not good enough, those places where you feel like that relationship could never be reconciled, where you sit across the table from someone who has caused so much grief and conflict in your life, or you sit across the table and there's a seat that's empty, in those difficult and heavy spaces, I pray that some of these words from this incredible passage that Mary shares would resonate with you, especially if you're in this place where you're trying to figure out which way is up or which way is down. In 2015, we had no idea what our story would be like. In 2019, we still have no idea what our story will be like. And yet somehow in the midst of all of this chaos and up and down, days in which, you know, as someone who's an ENFP and who always is looking, you know, at, at the glass more than half full and overflowing, there are days where I wake up, I'm like, what have we done? What have we done? And yet, there's this yearning also inside of me that says, my soul will magnify the Lord even amidst the complexity. And so in this space, we listen to these words one more time. And they are our prayer this morning. Hear these words. If it's uh, helpful for you to open up your hands and close your eyes to receive these beautiful words from Mary, uh, if, if it's a spot where you can't listen to them, please cover your ears. But I pray that these words would be the resounding words that play in our hearts as we leave this space this morning. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. 
and God's name is holy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, his steadfast love, according to the promises that he had made. God, this morning, we open up our hands and we trust you with complex things. God, sometimes we'd like for the story to be a lot simpler. And yet we know that somehow, in the mystery, you are with us, you are nigh, and you are the one who will provide. God, I pray that in this space with these friends, that regardless of, of where they find themselves, that they would hold on even with fingers clutched to the kind of joy that you provide. And God, as we sing these songs this morning, may we muster up the courage to believe them even just a little bit. Even just a little bit in this space of complexity. God, you are the one who guides us, who directs us, and who brings us to this table that we share in common. God, you are the one who provides all of the good things, and yet we wrestle. God, show up. God, be near. God, help us to expectantly wait for what you have for us, because we know you are good and you fulfill your promises. Amen.